long, long night, my friend. A long night. Don't don't flare out on me here. We don't have to do two hours. We don't. You don't flare out on me here with the alcohol. Yesterday time. Um, well, see, I bought the rum because, are we recording? I bought the rum because he told me that you guys like to sit in St. Bart's and oh drink rum. Yeah, it was, and it I was, was like, oh, purchase for your you disposing all this is the closest I'll get to sitting with you guys in St. Bart's drinking rum. We do like our times at St. Bart's. We should be sitting in Midtown Well, that's when you talk most rum. of the time. And I ah. acknowledge, yes, you were indeed the captain it's of industry. You knew... Everybody and everything oh, that was going on. I don't have a goal. And you have a vision battle. as to where the future media is going. He'll tell us about that. He's a deep thinker. He'll tell us I know he is. For a couple of stories here and there. I know he's a deep thinker. Who's a but, deep thinker? But why, why are you guys friends? Like, what made you even want to li- Like, why did you like each other? We don't. We're okay, good. Oh, my God. I love a friend of me. Good friend of me. Um, actually, yeah. Yeah. You bring out the best of each other. So everybody needs bitch. a nemesis, and no. we don't naturally have nemeses. We actually, <laughs> this started 23 <laughs> years ago when our wives bumped into each other in Piedmont Park and with left you one-year-olds, oh my didn't God. know each other, didn't know we both worked at Turner until one of them said, oh, my husband works at Turner. Really? Mine does too. So suddenly we were... Um, that must be nice. We got deep. Our kids grew up together a good bit. It was just wonderful. That's right. They knew each other for a while. And then one of my first projects was working on a NASCAR deck. <laughs> Sorry. Because uh, we were we were pitching NASCAR. That's right. And you and, and you get Steve Heyer give was him going out to see the France family. Give him, he's like too, it's too with short. I think Andy Heller and you and Mark Lazarus and maybe one or two other executives. And Strat Planning had put together the deck and. Of course, Steve Heyer wanted new iterations of it. So we were printing out, I think, 10 or 15 colored decks that had to be the latest version. And you guys are sitting on the tarmac at PDK. They let me through the gate, so I drove on up to the plane. And down came the door. Down came the door. Yeah. And Coleman stepped out. He was the one that was designated. He was relatively junior to all the people there at that stage. But he was on the plane, and he was the one designated to get the How did he get on get the, the plane? How they let him on the plane? Uh, those were all know. the special <laughs> people I know. Because they so needed I, someone to come in and tell the story of why this is going to be great on the Turner Network to NASCAR. That's why. So, and it was genius. Worked out well. And little did you know. I um, handed the deck to Coleman. And Coleman seemed like a nice guy, and he said, I know you. Our wives know each other. So I said, well, that's Coleman. That was a strange occurrence. I drove into an off. Uh, I drove all the way right up to the plane. I'd never done something like that before. So I didn't realize you could do that. You probably can't anymore. I don't drive know. Drive your plane onto the tarmac and drive up next to the plane and Maybe have them in open some, the door and you hand them things. Some places you Maybe can. some places, yeah. But that like was the beginning. They little airports. Can you own your own airport? Probably. Um, you probably could. Probably Epstein had his own airport. Didn't, or no, he didn't. That island didn't have an airport. If you it? guys are interested didn't in Richard opening Branson? an airport with me, let me know. That'd be great. I'm not kidding. So we got to get our cool. pilot's license. I remember when I was. We don't even the, have to fly. We just have the have the landing strip. Later on in my <laughs> I'm not adventures at Turner, when AOL took us over, I got I'm stuck ready. in a plane going up to to Teterboro, and I was you know the, the junior guy doing all the work in the in the computer in the back seat, and up front were a bunch of the AOL characters, and they were talking about I'll never oh, forget boy. it. They were talking about which island you should look at buying, and the Caribbean. I thought, wow, <laughs> that's a conversation I've never heard in my life. And people talk about which island, and they were talking about you need an island big enough that you could build a landing strip on it. 
So that he begs needs his notes. I'll give it to him. You give it Wayne to him. has got me. Wayne is taking care of you. That he is. Do you need to open your laptop up? Do we need a... Um, is this going to make noise? Is that bad? It's okay. We'll deal with it. Um, Lena, no, I, I, I talked too I fast last life time life we did a podcast. Oh, that's fine. I was going to consult ChatGPT, but you can do I haven't that. listened. Okay. I never oh. listen to anything or watch anything. Are you using ChatGPT? No. You haven't used it? <laughs> no, what is it's it? I don't even know what it is. What is ChatGPT? You didn't say that. Do you use ChatGPT? I haven't used it, but I know. Oh, my God. He's all over it. What is it? Oh, my Tell God. About using it's artificial it. intelligence. It is any Can question you have me? about the universe. <clears throat> Norm is writing anything. a book. You're ChatGPT, people. Get he on is, it. He's, he's writing a book. Norm's writing a book. You are? I am writing a book. Yeah. You should talk about your book. That's cool. So I got stuck at writing this book. It's a nonfiction book. <laughs> Wait. I Let's pretend we're on the beach. Do you guys sit on the beach at St. Bart's, or do you sit yeah. under an umbrella? No, we sit on the beach. We because both of you are fair, skinned. We still sit on the beach. Okay, just have a hat. But yeah, okay. we sit on the beach. What kind of a hat? Oh, just a like a baseball hat, one with a Turner logo on. He has a fancy Panama hat. You know the kind. Yeah. He never brings it out until we get to St. Bart's, and he looks <laughs> it's only very that were true. No, it's just a question of Cartoon Network, uh, yeah. Turner Classic Movies, everything. I'm he blends in with the billionaires on their super yachts, the oligarchs. <laughs> they think he's one of them. Well, you talked about how we became friends. I mean, we have. But you are rich. He's no, very wealthy. No, that's not true. Define no. rich. No. Rich you in got, friends. You got <laughs> rich in love. Rich in you experiences. Got over twenty mil. He has Look, amazing, he's hesitating. He has he's amazing rich. waterfront okay. territory. Let's, what, territory. Not, uh, it's not, let's not even talk not about real estate. It's territory. Let's, in his brain or physically? No, it's, in, it's real. Okay. But I don't, it's not quite enough to have his own landing strip yet. In St. Bart's? You, have, you own in St. Bart's? No. No, we no. don't own St. Bart's. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he's in it too quick. you got to watch him. He's so good. But, you know, it's he's interesting because... He's talking AI. He's doing all this. And, you know, it's it's interesting because we talked about how we've been friends over two decades. Yeah. Worked together vacation together, kids hanging out, wives hanging out, everything. Yeah. And we have so much in common because Norm, you know, will never tell you about his many accomplishments. But Like being uh, in that uh, Madonna video. That. Uh, I wasn't in the video. <clears throat> I, I didn't, I failed to get the, the spot. No, you were in that video. I'm glad you think I was, yeah. I know you I were. Yeah. But, but let me back up. So we have a lot <laughs> in common. A liar. We, well, Norm has a Harvard MBA and I've been to Boston, so we've got that <laughs> in common. Um, Norm has a gold medal. In the Olympics, kayaking. Colorado. I have another Norm story for you. No, this, this is not this what is we're here to talk about. How humble and accomplished Norm is. So my, my daughter Carly is in third grade, and uh, what? She, it, no, no, not now. This now? is way back when. Like, she, which, she's twenty years which, old. Which, which, she's twenty which, now. Wife. <laughs> the other this wife. Is, this is the um, sister wife. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is going to be fun. Um, so when my daughter was in third grade, okay, thank she you. asked Norm if he would come and you know bring his gold medal and talk yeah. to the third graders. Yeah. And Norm comes to visit. You were living in Colorado at the time. That's right. I mean, and um, trip out. And he came, and he goes to the classroom, and in his very gracious, humble way, he starts talking about the history of the Olympics and the tunnel. Carly's telling me about it when she gets home. Dad, he was explaining this and this. But I just finally looked at him and said, Mr. Bellingham, can you just show him the medal already? Oh, my God. <laughs> so even for him to show third graders, he's very humble about it. I mean, Did the you fact, bring the medal today? Oh, he's got it on underneath his sweater here. I mean, he only I can see it. Through, I he can put see the sweater it. on. Sure. Well, when we go to St. Bart's, he lets me borrow it. So yeah, I usually. Yeah, that's where I really bring it out, St. Bart's. <laughs> and, and he's got this part on his chest that's always white. That's it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Around the metal. 
Oh, it's so. So funny. those are a couple of good. Norm is stories. it a good feeling to win a, me- a gold medal? It is a good feeling to, to not to come across the finish line, finish line in the right place, the place you expected or hoped to come. So it doesn't necessarily does not necessarily mean that you're winning. If you had hoped to maybe make the finals, and the finals is top eight or nine, depending upon the event, and you come in fourth or fifth, or just, you know, and you're pretty happy. And if you're in that position and you get a medal, you're ecstatic. So it all depends what your expectations are. Yeah. But if you expect and you there's a good chance that you might win. Um, it's a feeling of incredible relief relief like a giant weight off your shoulders wow okay a gigantic weight off your shoulders because people know you have the potential to do it but you've got one chance every four years to maybe do it and you may not be able to line back up in four years it's a long time to go so you're pretty scared to be honest no it's and it does it hits you and it hits you all of a sudden so a lot of times you look at the athletes when they cross the finish line especially if they've had an amazing race there's a couple of shots. One is Sebastian Coe when he won in 1980. He won the metric mile. And then there's one of this guy named Rodel who won the 1996 800 meters. They look like up to the skies as if they saw the face of God. The ancients used to talk about that as if for a moment you saw God. And so I think that the sense of relief is so extraordinary that that is what it feels like you're watching with somebody there. And they've been transported to a different place. And spectators respond to that so it's a cumulative sense of excitement and joy that's why it's you know a special thing to witness but i think what you're really seeing is a massive amount of relief okay that's fascinating you know it it is but have you can you claim to have robbed a bank and gotten away with it because i can (laughs) you know it doesn't show up anywhere but when i was seven years old my neighbor and i put on bandanas and cat pistols and we went into the Murphy Bank in Murphy, North Carolina, said this is a stick-up. They gave us 100 and pennies, and uh, we escaped. And today, our parents would be uh, called by defects, and we'd be in therapy for two years. But oh, not many people can say they robbed be, a bank. Did you really do it? You had yeah. cap guns? Did yeah, you had cap guns. Oh, they knew who we were. Did you pull the trigger? Did it make any explosions? No, I didn't need to. They gave me the pennies. What would you say? What'd you say? We exactly. walked in with our bandanas and our cat pills and said, this is a stick-up. And so everybody stick looked up. and went, oh, that's the Breland kid and the Edwards kid. <laughs> Give them 100 pennies and charge their parents. And then we went out of the bank, and we thought we were really we something. You, were, you, you go down the next bank, bank next, next town over? It's Murphy. There's one yeah. bank. Yeah. No, no, we were pretty, our legs were pretty short then. We couldn't do it, and I didn't know how no to kayak tour. on the rivers, so I, I couldn't I declare this competition a tie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll okay. take the medal. But I really, so... On top of all of that, we, we really came here because uh, Coleman and I were talking about the entertainment, the world of entertainment, and the business of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've always admired Coleman's background in negotiations. It's just not something that everyone can do. And your stories about negotiating on the behalf of Turner Broadcasting and Time Warner and AT&T are incredible. Thank um, you. I had a great team. So imp- Well, see, there you go. What a good leader. So impressive. So impressive. Um, and the problem solving on the fly. I can only imagine. It's a little bit like if you saw the movie um, Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe where he's cutting out things and putting it on the wall. Exactly. Yep. Constant game theory. It's actually... 
it's actually fascinating because these used to be very simple in the in the beginning and and just you know for for your listeners you know Turner Broadcasting at one time had ten networks that was TNT TBS TCM True TV Cartoon Network Adult Swim uh, Boomerang uh, CNN CNN International CNN Español and then Turner got bought back in the nineties by Time Warner. So we were part of the Time Warner family. Then AOL bought Time Warner, an absolute disaster. And we got rid of the AOL people, sort of took back over the company. And then, and then AT&T bought us. And since that time, uh, um, the Time Warner portion has been spun out and is now Warner Brothers Discovery. So the, the Turner networks are still there. They're now part of a bigger portfolio that includes the Discovery networks, Discovery, Travel, Food, home and garden, like yeah. that. So, but you know, when I was there, it was a ten Turner networks, and yes, the negotiations were fascinating. And in the beginning, a contract would be a page and a half, with a couple spaces to write in how much a cable operator is going to pay a month for the network, yeah. and then the name of the cable system. It was that simple. And now the now the deals are wildly complex, trying to predict the future and technology and consumer trends and viewership and. And they're you know they're 100 and 150 pages so and they sometimes take a year to negotiate oh my so God. they're they're wildly fascinating but with a great team you truly are like you go into this the Thunderdome this vortex of time and space where you get to um, you know feel a lot of weight on the stock price uh, and getting the deals done it was absolutely fascinating I feel very lucky to have somehow landed in the job I did and and the two of you met over. A negotiation about NASCAR working with yeah we Turner? we were going up to pitch NASCAR to be on the on um, the Who Turner networks pitching to <clears throat> NASCAR NASCAR okay. themselves okay right. okay which is a great sort of segue into where, what's going on with sports now where, where, where are you going Charlotte Charlotte okay yep um, by the way Norm I didn't know I was getting on that flight until about an hour and ten minutes before <laughs> so I had to run home put on a little different clothes and go up to Charlotte. Um, you know, it, it's interesting when you talk about a company, a media company like Turner, <clears throat> and, you know, there are two revenue streams. There's, you get paid by distributors, cable operators, satellite companies, telephone companies, um, who carry your networks. And then there's also the ad sales business. Ad sales used to be the predominant revenue stream, but about seven years ago, distribution started to take the lead of the money that it provided. Um, and also at one time, you know, it's it's interesting. When the business was sort of pure, it was like being in a garage band as a teenager, right? You had cable operators who played the drums, and that's all they did. <clears throat> and programmers would play the guitars, and there was a lead singer, and nobody got in anyone's way. And then as, as success would have it, then suddenly your distributors start to own networks that compete with your network. So the, the dimensional nature of what took place in the relationship, it was so clean and easy and pure. And it was just, everyone was signing up for cable. It was easy at the yeah. time, right? Now these sound like very historic long time ago, but it wasn't that long time ago. Um, but it's a, great, it's a great starting point to just bring up the, um, the teenage garage band because it used to be that simple, but it has radically shifted. And I know... You and I have talked, Sarah, and we've been talking about, in the news right now, there's so much um, ink and airtime donated to the state of sports. Yeah. How sports is delivered, what's happening to the rights, who's gaining the rights, who's fighting to keep their rights, and especially the regional sports networks have been in the news a lot. And so maybe maybe that's a good kickoff place. What do you think, Norm? Sure. Um, 
kick it off. You know, no pun intended. <laughs> well, well, you know, back when um, Disney bought Fox, um, under regulatory scrutiny, they were told that they would have to divest of the Fox regional sports networks. So they sold those 19 networks to um, to Sinclair. Sinclair's uh, has a group underneath that called Diamond Sports Group, who runs the regional sports networks. They were renamed. They were renamed Bally's, just from a marketing point of view. So it's Bally's Southeast, Bally's South. Um, there are 52 teams on those regional networks um, across NBA, Major League Baseball, and hockey, just to sort of set the stage for that. So Sinclair wrote a check for $10.6 billion back in 2019, bought the networks. Seems like everything was going to go fine, right? You could never lose with sports because that's always been part of the driving force. It's one of the things that made the Turner Network strong, especially TNT and TBS, because they were hybrids. They weren't just entertainment networks. There were sports on there. And the whole company was built around the Braves. Correct. Right. You go back to the, the, the roots of the Braves for $10 million as an investment. Uh, but what happened just recently, now Sinclair is filing, they've filed Chapter 11 in a Texas bankruptcy court, basically saying, can't pay. We just can't do it. Um, and, you know, if you're a team or you're a league, you start to go, well, wait a minute, what do you mean you, you can't pay me? <laughs> You've got 19 regional sports networks. I, I need to get paid. And, you know, MLB has been vocal about it. And if you can't pay, maybe we go direct to consumers and stream. And we should almost hang that word stream in the air because that's what people say most to everything, right? Yeah. Now, I'm not questioning MLB's decision or statement in any way, but we always think, well, we'll just stream, right? That's easy. Right. We just it's not always easy, and we'll get get to that in, in a little bit here. But, um, you know, right now, you know, Sinclair's trying to figure out what happens. Do they trade um, exchange uh, equity to c- help cover the debt, which is about $8 billion, and what happens? But everyone thinks this is a new um, conundrum that's come up. And that's not the case because the pressure on regional sports networks has been there for a long time. And if you look, this will sort of help. So at the table, if we had, um, we'll call them small little walls you have to jump over. Basic cable networks are the first wall in terms of expense. And you got regional sports networks, and then you've got retransfer broadcast. So for 15 years, there have been battles in the distribution landscape for basic cable networks and broadcast networks. On you get drops or threat of going drops as you're trying to get negotiations and deals done. So that's been around for a long time. And for the RSNs, it's not just Sinclair because you can go back to, you know, 2019. Um, I'll, I'll use Dish as an example. They dropped Altitude, which is a regional sports network out out west. Comcast dropped them as well. Um, and it's interesting. Just this month, the lawsuit between Altitude and Altitude owns like. Uh, the Nuggets and the Rapid and the Avalanche. Um, they settled their lawsuit, but that network hasn't gone back on with Comcast or with Dish, right? Because the costs are so high. And what's, what's happening is that the margins are, are slipping, right? When, when in the heyday of cable, the margins, what, Norm, probably 40% plus for video. And that was all their business, right? But now video is just eating into the margins so much, but you've got high speed. High speed margins are in the 80 plus percent, depending on which distributor you're talking about. So if you're, if you're a traditional cable operator, a telephone company, or any type of distributor, you're like, well, wait, wait a minute. So my costs continue to go up for programming, which they do. Um, but wow, I've got this pipe over here for high speed. And maybe I actually like the idea of streaming services because I can just charge nor more um, for capacity and high speed. So that shift has taken place. So it's 
the lightning rod are now regional sports networks just because they used to be packaged differently, right? They would be in a lower carriage, which means a high percentage of the subscribers could get them and pay for them. But now, as you and I were talking about earlier today, Norm, that's not the case. Not everyone wants to subsidize sports. And, and the distributors are saying, I need to move it out of an expanded basic package or wherever I carry it up to a tier. And if subscribers want it, they can get it. And this is the pressure point. But you follow the margins to understand what's happening in entertainment. Where's the money shifting and what's taking place? You want to add? Yeah, no, I, I remember my first foray into regional sports networks was in the late 90s. And the president of Turner Sports, uh, a fellow by the name of Harvey Schiller, uh, was good friends with George Steinbrenner. And he got a fax that came over his, his machine, and he came on down and he handed me this rolled-up piece of paper from the fax machine that said, how about a regional sports network with the Yankees as a core asset? And he said, can you value this up? And I looked at it and I said, I think I can do that, because I'd been looking at regional sports networks, the collection of Fox Sports Networks, and I spent the weekend doing it, and I'll never forget, when he came back in the office on Monday, I said, I've been working on this all weekend, and I cannot figure out how to lose money. <laughs> it was, I said, this thing, it was being carried at the time. The Yankees were being carried by MSG Network. Yeah. And I think their rate was roughly 50 cents a subscriber per month. And they were carried by about 7 million people, 7 million homes. The uh, family. Yeah, and so Steinbrenner had an option to take those games back and then pulled them with the Nets, um, I think, who owned the Nets. Um, Chambers. Ray Chambers, that's right. And so they created, they, they wanted to create a regional sports network. And we looked at something called Turner East. And we figured we could, would be very generous to consumers by going out with, let's say, a 75 cent or a dollar sub rate. We could probably take it north of a buck fifty. Some of the other regional sports networks were charging north of that already. And the Yankees were the premier content for a regional sports network. So that was another way in which I interacted with Coleman and his colleague, Andy Heller. <laughs> we couldn't put any number in our model without their okay, because they would be the ones that would have to go sell this to the distributors. So if we were saying, we have a new network, and it's called Turner East, and it carries the Yankees, and we want Time Warner Cable or Cablevision or Comcast to carry it for a buck, they have to go to war to, to, to extract that value. Uh, we, for a number of reasons, opted not to do that, in part because Turner as a company and Time Warner did not want to go to war with Cablevision and the Dolan family. It was, but we also you know, were happy with our collection of assets, and we thought we should just focus on minding those. That being said, Harvey Schiller opted to move on up to New York and work directly with, uh, with George and Ray. And he was the CEO of what became the Yes Network. And I remember thinking they will just be making money hand over fist, you know, until this business model changes. Yeah. And it is now changing because of cord cutting and cord shaving. And it just really wasn't sustainable because especially in regions, not necessarily in New York, but regions where there are teams that are on a regional sports network that are not necessarily widely watched, the vast majority of people within those DMAs, uh, what does DMA stand for? Designated market area for the, that the leagues determined are regional for those specific teams. Uh, the subscribers to a cable package don't necessarily want to have to subsidize uh, 
these sports viewers in that area if they don't have an interest in sports, but they had to in the past. So that's contributed to the cord shaving, people realizing they're paying for some content that they really don't want, and they're paying dearly for it. Well, as cable companies try to sort out, cable and satellite carriers try to figure out what they're going to do to manage their margins, they look at something like a regional sports network. Should it, you know, should the rates be dropped? And the impact of that has been dramatic, as we see with the bankruptcy declarings, uh, with um, uh, Diamond Sports, right? And it's going to extend further than this into the teams. So the valuations of the teams, that's something that we're also going to see. And by extension from that, player salaries, long-term contracts may wow. need to be renegotiated. So okay. that's just one sliver of where things are going. But it's it's fascinating. It's a result of disruption of the old business model. Yeah, and it's you could argue it's the streamers that disrupt that disrupted that. It's the other the top players that disrupted the existing b- model of multi-channel carriers. Yep. But there is new disruption around the corner. So the streamers are not home free, as new players are going to be coming into the game too. What is so. It? It will prob- we don't know yet. I mean, there are multiple players out there, but I think it's a lot of this will be... People have talked about virtual reality and augmented reality. I think we're more likely to see um, content that comes out of the artificial intelli- uh, intelligence area. So we can talk about that later. But, I, you know, for example, um, you've heard about how ChatGPT and people can create a scripted... Uh, show on its own. You just give it a few prompts, say like a, like a comedy, you know, with five people based in southern Tennessee and the, you know, uh, I'd like it to have a tone of friends and it, you just give it a few prompts and it spits it out. Now, in addition to that, you can have artificial intelligence generate avatars, generate an, art, an animated background, and they can do various voices that are close to reality. Now, so a script writer could test all that in the very near future. How does this look? And it can be done, we're talking, you know, in certainly a day, if not minutes. Do you think this could launch another, okay, so it's augmented reality, or I'm going to say fake. (laughs) Fake, it's okay. Fake, um... Teams, fake sports, false sports, sports that doesn't involve human beings. I never thought of that. Um, Why would you want to do that? Because you could control it. So it's a version of fantasy football, but imaginary players. Is that what you're saying? Yes. I'm just trying to see what's going to happen in the future. Are they going to care about the real-life players on the field? One of the beauties of sport is it is unscripted drama, right? Exactly, exactly. So I don't know if sports would fall into this realm. I I think of it in terms of, I love this type of content. I want to see a variant of Yellowstone. So with that same tonality and that similar voice, but I want to see a different set of actors playing the the role of the rival family. Yeah. And we're going to base this in Kalispell instead of in Bozeman. Yeah. could it create something parts. that's pretty decent? Yeah, same parts. Um, you can uh, chase lizards. I, I think that the quality of what it would come up with initially would be suitable for a scriptwriter testing things. But I think 
as they iterate from that, it could become viable to people looking for very specific content, and ultimately, as they get better and better, it could actually compete against real content if it's tailored specifically enough to the interests of uh, the viewer. And it can be done inexpensively. Okay. And it can be done pretty inexpensively. So I think that's the sort of thing that's on the horizon. And so you look at regional sports networks and go, what do you really have to offer that's very specific? Most people don't watch a regional sports network to see anything but the sports. Right. The other content that fills up 95% of the schedule is of little to no value to them. And if the sports are overpriced and the rest of the content is just kind of filler that is expensive, frankly, to, to have to host, then that model efficiency begins to really fade away and people look for other things, whether it be the distributors or actually the consumers. Well, the pressure points, um, you recently stated that Warner Brothers Discovery is going to shutter their regional sports networks. Now they told the teams, we're, we're getting out of business. So now where do the teams go? Right. right. Where, where do they where go? Where do they go? Where do they go to get paid and where do they go to get right. get the distribution that they need? Well, that's the that's the challenge now, right? Of where do you how do you get the right content to the right people at the right time? What do you think? We had an we had an accident because we're all we're serving rum and cokes and <laughs> I have I have more. Can't take me anywhere. <laughs> I have more. With NBC, Just they, don't they spill shut it down on the NBC, mixing board, Norman. N- NBC um, <laughs> shut down NBC Sports last year, That's right. and they yes. shut down the Olympic Network. Yep. So, uh, how are our friends, uh, Mr. Lazarus and Greg Hughes? We know those guys. Uh, yeah, we know very how good, are they doing? very good people. Um, well, you know, they recently announced that they're going to put the NBC Regional Sports Networks inside of Peacock, Yum. which is a great way to strengthen a streaming service. An already good what streaming service. What does it do service. to NBC Sports? NBC Sports is gone. Yeah, the, the network's gone. gone. The network's, okay. network's gone. So, but think about oh, it. It's a really right. smart okay. move, okay. right, to, okay. to put regional sports networks in, into Peacock because you basically you open it up for a new audience, new way to bring people into the process, and you get to you know, have your forte even deeper in terms of streaming sports. How does NBC Sports, you know, when Dick Ebersol was over NBC Sports, it was... You know, like the Golden Lion that no one could touch. Like, don't come near me. We've got the Olympics. They would win every Emmy. Um, they won everything. They were the kings. But the crown is gone. Well, Norm, <laughs> given your Olympic background, uh, you want to talk about that? You want to talk about ratings of the Beijing I'm just games curious. and why they were down? I'm and, just curious. Well, I think part Where, of it, part of it's timing, right? In yeah. terms of of when do you come and what do you watch? Look, you, you can go. There's so many options now. This is the 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 okay. one of the biggest quandaries in trying to gain attention, which is what if you're in the media business, you're in the engagement business. I need people to interact with my content as long as I can keep them interacting with it. But the competition now for that is rabid. In terms of what I can do, I, I, I got podcasts, I've got right. Spotify, I've got music, I've got games. Look at look at just the games. Yeah, everybody thinks people are on their phone and they're texting. They're not. A lot of people are playing Candy Crush and other games. This is a it's an attention span issue, and then it's just a cornucopia of what you can do with the minutes a day that you're yeah. going to entertain yourself. That's so it's it's harder, right? If you're the only movie at the Hen Theater in Murphy where I robbed the bank, then <laughs> then you're going to be then you're going to have the top 
movie sells uh, for tickets on Saturday night. So, but as competition just increases, it gets harder and harder to do this, which is why now the the pressure that you're seeing inside of the regional sports networks is being exacerbated by exacerbated by some of the incredible checks that are being written. I mean, YouTube stepping in and paying two billion dollars a year for NFL Sunday ticket after DirecTV was paying a billion and a half and probably losing half a billion a year on that. It was a good loss leader for them. It was a great strategy for them at the time. But now, l- look at that. They're coming in and writing those kind of checks. So yeah. the, the tech companies are coming in, but one of the keys is they don't think of content the way those of us who experience branded networks right. think about content, right? So you got Amazon. Amazon spent, um, uh, you know, Basically, they're gonna they're gonna get the Thursday night football package, or they've got it. Eleven years, um, astronomical price tag. But look what they're doing. They they don't care about the ratings. What they you know they recently announced that during a three hour game, they got more Prime membership signups during that time than they did on Black Friday or Cyber Monday, right? And they've created something called Thursday night football central, which is a retail hub to sell merchandise because they're a shipping company, right? So they don't think of content the way. I would love Scooby-Doo, for example. Right. They'll think of it as a tool in the toolbox yeah. to give you greater value for your $139 a year tag to get prime shipping. I used to not understand that. So I was in a business school class in which a bookseller where, where? had— Where? It, what, it, what, it was what, at Harvard what, Business oh, School. Harvard? There was a gentleman who was relatively young, had started up a company selling books online, and he was sitting in the class as we debated his new company, just okay. gone public. And I love books, especially old books. Ninety-nine percent of the books that are out there, in terms of books that have been written, are no longer in print. And so, there was at the time, and there still is, a site called Bookfinder.com or MXBF.com, and you can go there and search all the inventories of used booksellers around the world. Wow! And you can get whatever book you want in almost whatever um, state you want it from. New to you know, very fine to without dust cover. Whatever okay. you can just go through them all, and you can get a very good price on your book, on, on almost anything that's ever been in print. So I said, this new site that has nice reviews on books that are available in Barnes and Nobles and elsewhere is all fine and good, but it's not going to be used other than for research by consumers. I probably had the floor for maybe ten minutes because people let me talk about this because I seem to know about books. And the guy who was starting the company was taking very close notes. And so I told Jeff Bezos that this idea of his for Amazon.com was an awful business. So I don't know. Uh, uh, I didn't know that it wasn't really about the books. Uh, not, that's not my defense. It's just letting you know that I don't really know necessarily everything that, that I'm That you bitch I'm slapped about. Jeff Bezos at Harvard. <laughs> Yeah, so I, Good for you. And, and as, the, as his market cap of his company just kept going up and up and up, all I just keep saying, Norman, you don't know anything. You just don't know anything. It wasn't but about the books. It wasn't though. about the books. So you, weren't, so you do know something. Well, I learned that. Yeah. Um, he didn't tell us that at the time. Uh, I don't know if he necessarily Maybe, knew it Exactly. At the time. Maybe you made him think of something else. Cause I don't think so. Um, don't but that's kind of you to say that. <laughs> uh, but so to what Coleman you know, was just saying... Sports is just a vehicle, uh, a, very su- a very successful vehicle in helping sign up new users. And I think Apple views, it the sa- views content the same way, pulling people into their ecosystem of 
subscription services. And Netflix as being a pure play is is different. Um, they're just going to start, I believe, moving into sports. I don't know if they have anything quite yet, but I understand they're taking meetings. You know, so uh, the streaming world is still at a state of early maturity. It's yeah. a mature industry, but it still has a ways to go before it gets fully before it really gets disrupted. And I think they're going to use all kinds of content to play a larger game, especially in the type, in, uh, as we just talked about with Amazon. Right. I mean, if you look at Amazon, so on Prime Day sale, their members purchase more than 300 million items. And if you're a member of, of Prime Shipping, you spend on average of $1,400 a year. If you're a non-member, it's $600 a year. So again, I'm going to have Thursday night football. If the ratings are down a little bit, that's okay because that's not the sole purpose of what this is about. This is about how do I give you an experience and, and another chance to sign more people up. So when the rate increases come for prime shipping because there are always increases, I'm getting extra value in the process. And Amazon to me is such a fascinating animal in the space because at the end of the day, yes, on a, if you look at them on a pure competition basis, they compete with HBO Max, they compete with Netflix, they compete with Disney+. Plus. But they've got AWS. They've got their their web services, the cloud. They're right. making billions of dollars servicing these other streaming companies. Yeah. So they sort of, if they lose, they win. If they win, they win. I yeah. mean, it's, a, it's a fascinating dimensional model, but it's so different in the way you think of content. I, I think the numbers like for Thursday Night Football, it's like $67 million a game. Wow. But does that matter? To them, not necessarily because they're using it as a tool, as a mechanism to for a broader, bigger, core business initiative rather than I'm there for the ratings. Right. Now, of course, they want good ratings. They want to prove to the advertisers they do a good job with this. But the way they think about it is so different. And as Norm just pointed out, look at Apple coming in and you know signing a 10-year, $2.5 billion deal for Major League Soccer. That's going to be available in over 100 countries and regions. And I, I get it. You know, Depending on where you are, they may not say MLS is their number one thing to watch. But but these companies think in a global basis in a different view, and that's that is a new animal at the negotiating table for sports that you've never seen before. And their and their pockets just run deep. Yeah, right. It's it's not necessarily the core business. What do you think, Coleman? Do you think that these streaming players will move in? That the big players like Amazon will move into regional sports networks arena? Will they take over those games? You know, uh, I don't know. I think the the purchases that they're doing now are smart for them, mm -hmm. right? I think the challenge with the regional, right, is always eyeball and reach. You know, can, can you get enough people? Um, I, don't, I don't see them stepping into regional sports. That's just my guess. I don't, I don't know if they need that necessarily. They'd have to create whole new teams for negotiations. <laughs> That's true, they would have to do that. But look, they've already, they're already arming themselves very well to say I'm a, I'm a major player in sports, right? versus uh, you know, the dimensional basis of what it would take for regional sports networks. So we'll see what happens with Chapter 11, if Sinclair can write the ship and creditors will come in and teams and leagues will cooperate and they'll buoy them, but it doesn't take away all the pressures that exist out there of rising costs for any type of content these days. Um, and the, you, know, you still have local blackout issues and things like that because guess, guess what? With you know, Major League Soccer, there are no blackouts. Same thing with Apple's Major League Baseball. You know? That's without local local blackouts. So there's some benefits there. They're giving a different experience to the viewers because of that. What if the leagues may end up in the long run taking all the gains back themselves and having some sort of 
hybrid. Of I like a that network. idea. I'm that just, would be smart because they, they own the content. That would be one way to play it because yeah. then you could both do streaming yeah. and also... NFL, pay attention. Well, and that, but go back <laughs> Come on, to Commissioner. One of my statements earlier about Major League Baseball saying to Sinclair, look, if you don't pay the teams, we're going to take those rights back and we're going to stream, right? The question is, do you have enough to stream? Because Bally's put out their streaming product with Major League Baseball, but they only had a handful of teams. There were like 14 teams they didn't have rights to or 10 teams. So it's not a full offering. And then again, you have to then once again, once again, get into someone's wallet, get into their their life clock to be able to to buy those buy those games. And do I do I want a package of games or do I want the games that I want? Right? Look, the industry's been crying for a la carte for years and years, and those of us who worked in the business didn't like that model very much because a la carte it's hard to get an audience. Right. 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 But so if you are like able horse to get racing a cr- TV. <laughs> A collective purchase in the regional sports space would require, at the same time, a collective concession on all the right. existing rights holders, and that uh, that sounds like a nightmare. How are you, Everybody's how, got to take a haircut. Who wants to sit in the chair first? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Step up. What do you think? Do you, do you think you think the uh, the tech players come after regional sports rights? That who Re, that that the tech companies who are buying sports now? Do you think they? <sighs> You'd need a full team of negotiators to go in and, and try to break it. Well, there's so it. much and, to undo, right? I mean, yeah. this, this is the challenge. You'd need an intermediary. I mean, some like some of the top people at Allen and Company. Somebody like you know would need to help you manage that with the leagues and with the owners. And you'd need to have established relationships with all these people because a lot of trust would have to be uh, built up if it wasn't already being tapped into. You know, it's interesting if you look at what's you talked about streaming and when will it become mature. If you look at what's happening. Um, you now have, you know, look, look Hulu had an ad-supported uh, offer way back when, but you're looking at others, HBO Max, Netflix, everybody talking about you can get a less expensive but ad-supported model. So in many ways, we went from the cable industry, which is like a big mall, right, with with a hundred different stores in there, little boutique stores, right? You had you had Adult Swim, you know, and you had travel. You had different different ones for different. Um, different things that you wanted to experience. Now it's like these massive, big anchor stores. Yes. Like a Walmart and a Target, you know, the the Netflix and the HBO Max and the Disney's. But again, I still, when I add up the bills, right, it starts to get expensive. You look at that and you say, what's my cost for content? Yeah. Um, I can go cheaper if I go ad version, but in many ways, I'm not saying it's a better or worse model in any stress in cable or which one's best. It's just, it's duplicating itself, right? Which now the costs are high. I can get more people if I have ads. Netflix Which at one just, time would yeah, have been heresy just, in streaming. Yeah, they Netflix just announced that they are over one million ad-supported subs. Right. Um, I want to throw something at you because I look at this digital TV magazine Europe all the time. Okay. Um, I just think it's it's interesting. Uh, they're talking about unbundling now in Europe. Tell do you know anything about unbundling? Unbundling fees. <laughs> You know, I, I think it's just a, a the little bit I do know. I think it's just looking at how do I cut the cost down, right? Um, if you were to talk to a distributor in the United States, they would say today, "I need fifteen different offerings." Yeah. You know, I don't need kids channels and an offering to someone who has no kids, right? Right. I don't. I don't need it in there. But that's not how the model was built. Right. So I think just everywhere across the planet, people are looking out, okay. saying, "If there are micro packages, wouldn't that be a better way to offer it?" Um, it's, it's always hard to change the direction of a business model when it's going well, right? 
and you're making money and people seem relatively happy with what you're offering. It's hard to do that. It's hard to then turn around and call your own herd. Yeah. Right? Yep. At, at Turner, we were very careful. We didn't launch a lot of um, sort of, we called them digital networks at the at the time. They were just networks that we knew would not get 90% of the sub base, right? They might get 30 or 40%. We didn't see a business model in that, and others did. I think that's sort of tough now because... Those are the ones, even if they're taking a nickel a subscriber out a month, how do you feed them? How yeah. do you keep them going with the cost of content going up the way it is? It's interesting. We recently had a guest, Isaac Hayes the Third, his father. Isaac uh, Hayes? Isaac Hayes. Shaft? One, yep, his, that was his father. Wow. And Isaac Hayes the Third, who lives here in Atlanta, started a, an app called Fanbase. And he said that he started it because, and he, he connected it to he had a resentment for paying for Netflix. He's like, the only thing I like on Netflix is Dave Chappelle. And I don't want to subscribe to Netflix for all this other crap. <laughs> I just want Dave Chappelle. Why can't I have only Dave Chappelle? Which goes to the unbundling. Because you're, sub you're subsidizing all the content that's exactly. on the platform. Or you're subs uh, subsidizing all the networks. That's, so he's that's developed a platform for artists where you can go in and look at what you want and subscribe only to the things that you want. If the artists have this have is, the rights to do it, right? Because you're going to sign a deal. Norm's a, a great comedian. And they he just all signed get up. paid. He just signed up with HBO Max to do the Bellingham yes. Belly Laugh Show. Yes. But in signing that document, it also says exclusively for this period of time, mm -hmm. only on this platform. Yeah. So now you get back exactly. into negotiating exactly. the contractual rights of what's the flexibility. Norm will pay you less if you want to go direct to consumer on your own. Well, so this is, it's fascinating. What he's trying to do Mm -hmm. is put pressure on the maturing industry of streaming to be more efficient for him. They're not going to want to do that. They're going to be going through a process of consolidation and probably raising their rates. So it's going to go the opposite direction, which opens up space for the disruptors. Love it. And so came, in 1997, I, in between years in business school, I was sitting out in Seattle at a company called Real Networks. I remember Real and Networks. I, it was, they had a streaming app for audio streaming. And we were, I was in the media department. It was a company, about 150 people at the time. And we were thinking about things like poetry readings or maybe sports games. You'd put those on, on the real player. Yeah. And people could get those through Mark Cuban's audio net at the time before it became broadcast.com. Well, we were just developing a uh, video streaming player. And so the codecs were starting to work with that. And somebody, one Saturday when I was in the office, only about 20 people there, so there's an intranet with serious broadband, which was unusual back then, said, sent an email to, if you're in the office right now and you want to see the future, click on this link. And so I had to do some work. I finished my work quickly. About a half hour later, <laughs> I said, I want to see the future. And so I clicked on the link, and I and sat back hacked. in my chair, <laughs> and I saw all of a sudden come up in the big real player uh, app, filled most of the screen, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it started just to, to stream. Yeah. And I was shocked. I was stunned for the first minute. And then I sat back in my chair, and about 20 minutes later, when it, it was over, because they only coded about 20 minutes of it, because yeah. that was a big deal then, yeah. I realized, my God, that is the future. Yeah. So now that's, you know, we're talking over a quarter of a century ago yeah. that that happened. So it's time for it to be disrupted again. Yeah. It's past time. So most platforms don't last that long, you know, and 
They've done very well. I guess the streaming industry really kicked in in 2007 or so with with uh, Netflix uh, when they went to launching a streaming platform, and they didn't go to a unique streaming play until 2011, I think, when they separated the, um, the DVD package and the streaming package. I sort of think of that in some respects as the birth of the streaming industry. Yeah. But it had been taking place before that. So by one count, it's roughly 25 years or a quarter century, and the other count, it's maybe 12 or 13 years. Um, it's time for Isaac Hayes the third and others to start disrupting. Uh, and I think Amazon will be able to follow quickly because they have a breadth of platforms. I don't know about others, you know, but the real value will be captured by the successful disruptors. I don't know exactly what that means. I mentioned that one case of a, you know, AI-generated thing. It'll be something else uh, other than that, but that's just one idea on how things could develop quickly. And I think it will be it will happen very, very fast, uh, this new disruption. So Jensen Huang in NVIDIA, the CEO of NVIDIA just said, I think it was a couple of few days ago, he said, there's one billion gamers now. We never would have thought, because he got into the industry of creating semiconductors in the 90s, we never would have thought there'd be a billion gamers back then. We knew it was big. He says... We expect there to be soon 8 billion gamers. So he thinks that people are all moving towards that sort of, the new gaming that will be developed. I don't know where what he's thinking about. He's a very smart guy. And he does have a view towards that. So is what Coleman talked about just a little while ago. You, you were talking about all the different forms of competition that entertainment's dealing with. Gaming's a giant one. And Jensen yeah. Huang put a much bigger number in my head than I had before. Okay. I don't know if 8 billion people will be gaming, but... Who knows? Maybe they all have smartphones and that will facilitate gaming and there will be you know, a, a giant uh, set of people that choose not to necessarily watch sports or entertainment but choose to game with one we, another. Well, you can see it, you know, the beginnings of it now. Um, uh, going back to our, our home team of Turner Norm, inside the NBA, which I think is absolutely the best sports show ever. Yeah. You know, with... With Ernie and no, Kenny and Shaq and Charles, it is, and, and those guys are. It's so, iconic. It's really who they are. Yeah. If you if you've ever got a chance when you were at Turner, Sarah, to go and and it's not like the light goes on and they go into character. That's really who they are. Yeah. But you know, the, recently they've started on, on the in, inside the NBA. You know, it's like, hey, if uh, look at the QR code here on your screen, take your phone and scan yeah. and play a trivia game to win merchandise and collectibles. That's a game inside a commentary on and curation of a game. Yeah. So and you find so ways we're gaming, to keep people involved. Even though we don't know we're gaming. Correct. Yeah, that's it what I was thinking. It just becomes a very natural thing, and we're already we, gaming. We'd need another day to start talking about you know what may come in betting and gambling, but but that's just a great example. Gambling was so interesting to me, but we'll we'll do that another time. We'll do that another time. Okay. Um, but that's just a great example of hey, how do I get someone else to basically touch the content and touch totally. the screen? And and there's just something about yeah. having having those four. Incredible commentator, experts, analysts say, "Hey, come play this game with me." Yeah, and it's right now and it's current. Yeah, it's amazing what's taking place like that. Our wonderful um, audio engineer Lane sent just texted me this. He said, "I'm curious about how streaming has now become similar to cable and paying for separate packages. It's come full circle. It's expensive to have all the shows I want. Where does it go from here?" Well, Lane, you hit the one of the number one things, which is. What's the flexibility? You and I debated this a little bit yesterday, right? Because what, what cable did well, you sort of got everything, right? You just knew you could come home, pick up the remote, 
And you might have to watch some ads, but you knew where to go to get whatever you wanted to watch, right? And then you had HBO and Showtime, other premium services. Norman. <laughs> Norm needs more rum. No, not yet. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> but, Thank you. But, but what has happened now, so that sort of goes back to sort of the mall I was, the analogy right, I was right, using, right, right? right? So Netflix has all of this content now. They got libraries, they got originals. Disney has the same thing. Library and originals. HBO Max, library and originals. Peacock, libraries and originals. And, but again, I have to, it's not one thing. I've got to go, if I don't have audio control, I've got to use my remote. I've got to remember where the, right. what series am I watching? Yes, is it on this streaming platform yep. or that streaming platform? Yep. So the awkwardness is there right now, yes. right? Which causes a degree of frustration. I mean, even another question that coming from that is like, I wonder if people are going to start craving the programming. Like there was such an ease to coming home and picking up the remote and then turning to HBO and then they had a catalog of stuff that you would just, you could just look for or wait for. Or, you know, different channels. Like I grew up watching a lot of MTV, MTV2. Wouldn't MTV brilliant? And so so you had a lot of content that you could just wait for. Um, And sometimes that was cool because if you you had time to kill, you you might enjoy the fact there was like a run of your favorite show or a revisit of old stuff. And so it took away that like, I don't know what to watch. It's like, well, there's there's at least a programming option as well. So there's the 500 channels and nothing on. Who's that? that Springsteen? I have that problem, Um, yeah. We had a leader at Turner Broadcasting, whether it was Steve Heyer, who had a concept called a consideration set. I thought it was brilliant. So that is there's, depending on your your age group, let's just say if you're older, you had five or six channels that you would come home and you would look at. So you'd go to channel 23, 36, 47, 5, and probably in that order. If there's nothing on those five channels, then you'd start looking through the remaining seven or so. And then if you didn't see anything on those seven that you wanted to watch because you, d- you d- couldn't time shift with DVRs that didn't exist yet, you would start scrolling through the 500 channels and say, maybe there's... And then you'd come across rodeo riding or whatever. You go, oh, well, check that out, right? <laughs> you'd watch some strange things that way. Yes. But that was the only way you experimented back then after yeah. you'd wasted th- through your, uh, your consideration set. The consideration set expanded with the arrival of the multi-channel universe and then streaming built it up even more. Yeah. But Netflix, if you looked at Netflix, it wasn't just one piece of the consider. I would say it was like three or four. It took up three or four spots because you scrolled through what they recommended and you know what you'd already been watching and maybe on your list, and then you'd go check out your consideration sh- set on, on cable. Yeah. Going forward... It's now, I mean, it's not a nightmare, but it's extraordinarily difficult, and people do talk about this. So it is. this is an area, I don't know if it's necessarily a disruption, it's an iterative innovation that really hasn't come um, about in a form that it has been widely adopted, and that would be a tailored programming uh, service. So something using artificial intelligence to see what you do with your time that. and say, I love that. all right, Lane, we, we've got... You know, we see you like to game, yeah. and there are these new games. There's, a, there's been an upgrade to this. Do you want to do this? There's a, there's a multi-person game going on. Do you want to join that? We, you know, there's um, some new content on YouTube that you might want to watch. Right. Um, there are these shows that we know you've been watching on Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. Uh, it just it gives you your consideration set in a way that is right there, and you don't have to work through the different platforms. <laughs> And so that would be something All that would be tailored to, to the individual. Move your thumb a little bit. And you maybe almost just use move your <laughs> eyes eventually, right? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I like that. So. I like that. 
Um, question. Well, do you have, you guys had done some serious homework for this podcast and I'm really grateful. Of course. And what, what was, what was the next space? You the, were going to talk about the next space was to um, and then I can get sort of some, some real. How about some real life <laughs> streaming examples? So yeah. the first streaming service launched by Turner Broadcasting was a product called Filmstruck, and which um, you yeah, I was, I was you very ran that. I was I I, I I had a team, very talented team, who ran that. Um, one of my last jobs there was overseeing Turner Classic Movies and the creation of Filmstruck. Yeah, and this was absolutely fascinating because. I think TCM is one of the most beautiful brands. I'm absolutely biased. Totally. But it has never lost its way since 1994 when it launched. Yeah. I mean, if you think With about Bill Burke. it. Correct? Yep. If you, think about, if you think about Turner Classic Movies as an example of what to do well, a movie after a movie after a movie is a loop. It's the curation. Right? It's oh, the yeah. curation of the content. It's understanding why Cary Grant picked up the phone X number of times and Arsenic and Olace and the backstories behind the directors and the actors and the actresses and everything that went on. It's that beautiful storytelling. Again, inside the NBA, it's curation of a game. Totally. Right? So, so Turner Classic Movies did such a good job of that. And we were like, okay, the majority of the audience for Turner Classic Movies skews older, even though you're adding more, more movies as time goes on. But what if we... What if we launch a streaming service and Criterion Collection, which is a phenomenal collection of about 1,700 titles, uh, owned and run by um, Jonathan Terrell and Peter Becker, uh, two brilliant gentlemen. Um, that product, their products, their movies were coming off of Hulu. So we thought we'll use this as an anchor. We'll launch a service called Filmstruck, which will be truly for just the film fanatics, right? This yeah. is, you're going to have indies, you're going to have foreign, you're going to have cult films, um, and you'll have the entire Criterion collection. And so we launched a service in November of 2016. And it was um, incredibly well received, especially by the creative community. Um, we were on plan to make our numbers. It was going really well. We had also um, at that time brought Warner Brothers in to be a partner in this since we were buying movies from them. We're like, hey, we're sister companies. We'll do this together. Great partners. Um, when it was up and running and it's prime during the period that it ran, we had movies from 23 different studios. So now you've got a pure movie streaming service, right? Which was just perfect. It was, uh, you know, $6.99, you got 550 movies a month. If you wanted all the Criterion collection, it was, you know, $10 a month, $10.99 a month. But look what you get in terms of film. So when AT&T came on board, um, it was easy to tell that so much of their focus was HBO Max, right? And, yeah. and how to compete in the streaming world. And I think they looked at something as beautiful as it was, and it was beautiful as Filmstruck, um, and said it's, it's sort of a, a niche offering. It's interesting, though, because all the talented people that put Filmstruck together, we looked at it, and we didn't see it like that. We actually saw a future that sort of is turning into what it is, which they're going to be these massive streaming services, and they're going to want originals, and they're going to want libraries. But if we actually just build this very solid, you know, what's that poem, safe upon the solid rock, the old house stands, come and see my shining castle built upon the sand? It's sort of like that. This was going to be our our old house of, of movies. And as people then looked at what they're spending, and let's say the bigger streaming services aren't saying that that is what they do. They don't curate. They don't do it that way. No. That as you're saying, well, what streaming services am I going to 
by, well, I, I need I need movies, so I've got to have Filmstruck, right? Yeah. Or Filmstruck could become a subset inside of HBO Max, or we could have had it as a subset in, in terms of every streaming service. Maybe it's an add-on, right? Because growing up and seeing the world through the lens of distribution is a wonderful thing because you actually you want your content everywhere. So the idea of exclusivity is a strange thing when you grow up in distribution, right? So we were even imagining a world where you know, Filmstruck can be an add-on to other services in, in the ways that we run it. But AT&T came in and said, it's just, it's too niche, it's too niche, it's too small. We, you know, we have to shutter it, which... Um, can I ask you a question? Yes. Why were they just unimaginative? Was there just one person that... You know, not, like... Not- I think it's look when we Norman I've been because it does take imagination to put together a strategic plan. Correct. Right? Head of strategic planning here, head of negotiations, which takes a ton of imagination as well. It it does. It does. Well, I think one thing that is difficult now in the entertainment business is patience. Right? It takes a lot of patience. Um, it, it was easy for a while, you know. Back in back in the old days with cable, you could launch a network, and cable operators actually had space, and they're like, "Hey, another network. We'll work on a price and, and carriage <laughs> agreements." But now to launch a streaming service, the cost of running a streaming service it's it's heavy. Your your tech stack is expensive. You have to somehow work through the clutter and have a people. You know, people um, are doing it though. The, the, they're the, doing it. They and are. It's it's fewer. They're fewer now they're, coming they're fewer, out. They're fewer, and they're small. They're, they're, they're doing they're, it. Are, I won't call them niche, and I don't mean that in a negative way by any way. No, I get this, it. This is very specialized. Right. But you have to work your way through the clutter of messages out there of what to get, right? Um, let me so, ask you a question on that. Okay. So uh, let me come back to Filmstruck to answer okay. yours. I think it was a timing issue, right? Because you know the, the group of us that loved it and believed in it, and, and uh, literally the outcry was incredible. I showed Norm earlier today at the governor's ball in 2018 um, after Filmstruck was uh, shuttered, Tom Hanks was up there talking and he said to the audience of like 2,000 people, Filmstruck is gone, people. It's gone, gone, gone. And everybody moaned. It was great. What a testament. Um, And there was a big outcry. Um, Letters came from Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, Wes Anderson. Um, I mean, you had uh, others, uh, DiCaprio, Christopher Nolan write letters to Warner Brothers saying, you guys have to step in. You know, I, I from where I sat, I looked at it as this is a phenomenal, we have a, a beachhead. And we also, it is in the DNA of Turner and Turner Classic Movies to brand and curate. You just have to give it time. Who killed it? Who? Name, name, name a name. <laughs> well, I don't think it's a name as much as it's a philosophy in the company, right? They're coming in. AT&T thinks big, right? This is a massively big company, right? So, so something small like that. they're not an entertainment company. But so most, this is classic disruption theory. So Clay Christensen, who realized that most incumbents that are dealing with a disruptive force are likely to resist bringing it in-house, and if they do try to bring it in-house, they have very low tolerance for it not hitting metrics that they're used to managing with the old business model. And so that's true in the integrated steel industry, it's true in the semiconductor industry, it's it's true in lots of industries. And entertainment was no different. That sounds logical. And And it's almost textbook what happened when I was watching. So I was at the Telluride Film Festival, I think you guys were there for two years of those, uh, Filmstruck, 
How many years? That's was, correct. Two years. Two years. I remember, and I'm seeing the filmstruck presence at Telluride, which is very much an industry film f- festival. It's not for the paparazzi. Okay. It's for the real film lovers and for the directors, the actors, the producers. They all come there in droves to experience each other's work. Real lovers of the, of the art. Filmstruck just fell right into place. I remember. I mean, I'm a a side player in all this, just so, just watching it all. But it it was a natural piece to the puzzle. And it was stripped away um, for ra- reasons I would guess are very rational for the leaders of AT&T and others, but missed the larger picture. Yeah, Because absolutely. they're focused on their industry as they know it. I think it's the battleship moving forward. Harding is very difficult not just to turn the battleship, just to understand what's going off on the periphery when yeah. all these disruptive forces are, are trying new business models, experimenting with that, and attracting... In many respects, some of the um, increasingly the more valuable customers. But they're just, they're just they're okay, focused on the business as profound. they know it. The more who are the more valuable customers? Well, I mean, initially, if you're people a disruptor, with money. yeah. Well, people who are loyal to your product. Yeah. You typically acquire customers if you're a disruptor through a sequence. You acquire those customers that can't get the content, in the case of media, the content any other way. And so that form that I mentioned of, let's just do artificial intelligence grades yeah. that show about uh, cowboys in Kalispell, that's, you know, in the 1920s, well, nobody else is making that, so I'll watch this pretty mediocre or not awful clunky version. Uh, and then it moves into the space of... Um, who delivers the most consistent quality? So if there's multiple people producing cowboy shows in Wyoming and Kalispell and throughout, you know, you're going to say, well, who has the most consistent quality? I'll start watching those. And this, so the competition moves into that space. And then who's the most convenient one for me to see? And then ultimately it moves into the space where you're competing with everybody else because you're competing. it becomes commoditized and you're, you're competing just in price. So, But you start to move upscale in terms of your competitors as you go through each of those stages. Um, and in the case of Filmstruck, some of your most, you were getting some of the most valuable consumers right out the gate. You were getting Spielberg as a consumer, right? So that was actually or, unbelievable. That, that's the beauty. Unbelievable. Yeah. Out, out the gate. The people yeah. that you need to create content Are they love the service. Love. It's your calling card. Yeah. It's your street cred instantly. Uh, with the creative community. That's how we looked at films. Right? It's not why we created it, but once word got out it could be shuttered, the outcry was unbelievable. Um, and so we knew we'd created something very beautiful. I think it was more of a timing issue of, um, but wait a minute, as the purchaser of this company, we see something bigger in HBO Max. So we're going to take the films, yeah. which we did a deal with. So Criterion was was a partner. We We had their library exclusively, as I said. So when the decision was made we needed to shutter Filmstruck, we sat down with them and, and came up with, a, a, I think, what was a very wonderful alternative, which is um, we released them from the contract. They could have tied up their, their films. They launched the Criterion Channel. Yeah. So they had their own way to go to market. And then we also got the rights to have Criterion Channel, our Criterion Films, on HBO Max. So, you know, in, in, in terms of senior management looking down and saying, are we still offering what we had before on Filmstruck? 
The answer is, yeah, you have to navigate it differently. It's a different feel. It's something else. It's like, I don't know. There's something so magical about content. The, the, the logic of calling... Well, they changed a brand. Correct. And, and the brand went, people love film stars. It was already a brand. It was a, it was brand, a brand so quickly. Yeah. And the people who loved it are the people you need to make content. Right. Right. So that was... And the, it that had was the, the word, word film in it. It did have the word film in it. How <laughs> about like, that? I'm like, the Criterion um, channel, I, I wouldn't even... If I didn't know from you about this story, I would never have heard of it. Well, it's a beautiful library. It's just phenomenal. I, I'll, right, it's just I di- haven't, I've it's, never looked at it's it. It's different. F- I've never film, looked at it. You know, the film, ultimate film fans will absolutely know what Criterion is. I gotcha. Mean, you know, Seven yeah. Samurai, you've got so many great films in there. But what we were building with Filmstruck, once you start adding, you know, other movies from the 23 studios, you actually have, again, you've built this great little brick house that can probably withstand a lot of the pressures of the streaming wars and find its way through. But yeah. then suddenly people go, I got to watch movies. So if, if, but you have to have patience, right? You you got it. You have absolutely. You Norm didn't knows ask this, for very much patience. You asked for five years of patience. <laughs> yeah, but um, when people come in and buy, it's, it's just different, right? They get to they buy the toys. They get to decide what to do with the toys. I, I understand that. Is that? Um, is I just think if we if we could have waited and kept it in place, it it could have fit. I mean, my wish for it was to say, hey, you know what? We thought about shuttering it. We're going to keep it going because we're going to also, you know, be. Uh, refurbishing and relaunching HBO as a streaming service, and Filmstruck's going to have a home inside there. And if you love it, and you love the navigation, you love the curation, you love everything about it, it was rich. It was like walking into a, a, so they a killed French your baby. bistro. They killed your baby. And a lot of professional people have that are creative and entrepreneurial, like you, with negotiations, you're always entrepreneurial. Was this the worst thing that ever happened to you in your career? Wow, that's a fascinating question, Sarah. Um, yes, it is the most disappointing. I agree. It's the most disappointing it. because it it was so beautiful. It just needed time, right? right? It just right. understand it may look like one thing growing out of the ground, but if it just had longer and it could have positioned, you know, I I, I get the concept of HBO Max is unless they change the brand, that is the brand find and Filmstruck yeah. is a store inside of the mall of HBO Max, right? And yeah. You pull people in, and then you may find that they want to experience other content in there. It was just. Rarely have I seen a brand come out. Again, TCM never lost its way as a brand. It's right. always been what it has been. And I think Filmstruck could have followed that. And again, the audience that loved it, it's just, I mean, I... And I'm, TCM had time to cook. Correct. I mean... Well, Ted had a lot of patience, right? He did. I mean, he, he, he did. He knew what he was buying. He knew what he was doing. And, yeah. um, you know, TCM's a good margin business. And and it satisfied, it satisfied a very passionate group. Movie lovers are very passionate. When we would get in battles with distributors, the couple times our networks went off the air, the number one network that people complained about not having was Turner Classic Movies. Number one. I'm sorry they killed your baby. <laughs> well, a lot of very talented people put this together, and it, it's just, it was beautiful, right? Well, and so you can always so say a lot of what, what to be, but it was, yeah. it, was just a beautiful, it was just a beautiful streaming service, right? Yeah. Uh, I think Washington Post called it the most beautiful streaming service at the time. The, the way it was put together, just the, the visual feast of it all was just so incredibly rich. But, yeah. 
But look, without a parallel universe, I can't say that what I'm predicting would have happened. But that's that's what I would look at it. And and since part of what you I got, got paid for was to look rate. into the thank you <laughs> to look into the future in negotiating was wait if we can just let this grow according to plan, it will find its place in streaming because it's so pure. Right. right. It is it is steak frites. I know I'm going to get steak frites. Yes. Right. It's not yes. going to be a smorgasbord of stuff. It's going to be steak frites. It's got an identity. It's got an identity. So that was tough, but as it worked out. You know, we found another way to to work well with Criterion and uh, try to get the films. It's just a different experience because curation is key. And yep. I, I, you know, Norman, I talk about this a lot. No matter where we are, which is the the personalization of content and the the beauty of telling the story inside the story. Right. And um, you know, we were watching some Olympic footage the other night, and we were talking about doping. You know what countries would do back in the day and what did it mean? And, you know, th- those are the stories and the stories, right? Otherwise, it's a race. Who hits the home run? Who wins the race? Who scores the touchdown? Who scores the goal? Which is, all, which is wonderful. People are always looking for but the, it's the story backstory. and the story. It's always a story and a story. Yeah. And that's what, that's what TCM and Filmstruck, I think, did a phenomenal job of, which, which was the overall curation of the branding. So, yeah, that was absolutely most disappointing, without a doubt. I get it. I get it. So now you'll have to do it again. <laughs> we'll have to do it again and make it better. We'll have to talk about that another time. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. Um, we wanted, I wanted to hear from you guys about what, you know, we talked about a little bit about AI. You know, what's, what's entertainment look like in 2035? Um, I cut the cord uh, nine years ago was thrilled to do it and went with a little company called Roku. Okay. It was not a big company then. They were just one of a few options. And they've blossomed. And I have lots of, I have Rokus in every room and I have old Rokus in the drawer. Um, but have not paid for a cable company since... Well, in nine years, um, what do you think that's that could look like? By twenty thirty-five is your number, or or the, around. <laughs> we we've talked in the past, Coleman and I, about immersive content um, using virtual reality. Before AI really hit the scene, I think AI would just make it more possible now What's to do it. What's immersive content? So. One place that Am Coleman I and I would hang it out. Underwater. No, no, no. So let's imagine you're in Telluride. Yeah. And there's a bank there that Coleman's robbing. No, it had been robbed though. Okay. By There you go. And so okay. the backdrop of Telluride's amazing. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And if you have a set of glasses that allow you to have virtual reality, if you could put something up and all of a sudden you're back in the eighteen eighties. And you're watching these characters walk down the street. Miners coming back from work. You know the various. You know the the working women walking down the street. The wives of the miners struggling to make it. Right. All the people interacting, and you see the facades of the buildings around you the way they had been. Because that can all be done. Yeah. And it can be done in real time. And then you start to have maybe even some of the actors or the animated, for, uh, artificially um, created. Uh, characters acting out roles and telling a story that pulls you into maybe what really happened in, in reality or maybe some variant of that. Yeah. 
That would be immersive, right? Gotcha. So you're wearing glasses and you're okay. now immersed in it. Yep. Something along those lines could be the beginning of something that you go down that could be then personalized to you. So could you could continue down that story path or you could go take derivative paths. You could go explore either the, the path of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in reality or you could follow the hypothetical story of what how it was like I, to be a minor in that time. How do I make money? And what if I'm Joe Blow at home on my sofa and I don't have money to go to Telluride and I'm just sitting there with my... <laughs> so you don't necessarily need to be there. Let's say you want to go I, to Normandy and see what the, what the bunkers were like that the Germans were sitting okay. in as, as the Allies were bombing the hell out of them. Yep. And they're looking at the flotillas coming in and going, yep. this is the likelihood I survived this is very, very low. Yeah. It's unpleasant. And if you have screen and capacity to get the content to you, then you can have the experience. You just gotcha. put on, yeah, you, you, you can immerse yourself into it. You put on headphones, you have glasses, and maybe a keyboard or something. Lane, I can what do you think? It's already being... Lane's I mean, 28. I think at some level, we're already seeing a lot of that with, like... Gaming. Yeah, yeah gaming so, especially. You, you so are. this is Jensen Huang saying everybody's going to be a gamer. Yeah. So he would probably consider that gaming. Yeah. Right? He would consider yeah. that gaming. At that point, yeah. you're, really, you're really pushing the boundary between, like, film and gaming. Correct, no. you are. Now you can push the boundary in another direction, too, which is... Um, nor my children grew up in, a, in an age where content just permeated their life in every single way. Yeah. So I always look at the education process and I go, how much of it's still memorization ver versus um, an experience? So imagine if you're learning about, okay, Normandy, do your Normandy. And the kids are, are having that experience. I have nothing against reading. I love reading. Um, but imagine to engage more of your senses to actually know what it's like. Yeah. To be in the bunkers, to hear the sounds, yeah, so to do all this. Your, your, your ability, I'm, I'm hoping for an education surge here of what you could do with content and edutainment and all these terms have been used. Set those aside. I'm just talking about is there a way to put game-based learning and interactive experiences inside of curriculum to engage minds that are used to tweeting and short-term burst of things, right, that we didn't – we didn't have the cornucopia of, of content <laughs> when I was in school like this. It just wasn't like that. You went to the library before, you know, Lori Baird got there to get the one book you needed to write your book report, right? It was just, it was different. So now they... It's, Lori Baird, I know her. Uh, she was in fifth grade. She always got to the library first. She took all the good <laughs> books. Um, but this is part of the challenge, I think. And some of the good things you're going to see by the intersection of what the technology will do with the entertainment component of this and the overall how do we make this part of the experience to gain their attention and just educate their minds in a totally different way. So imagine, wanna, uh, yeah, Normandy would be, we've talked a lot about that. Imagine yeah. if you're, yeah. you could be Hans, the Germans scared to death of the British planes dumping phosphorus bombs on you. And that's what really scares you. Or you could be some Jewish kid from Brooklyn who's climbing down the ropes to your boat and just going, what am I in for here? Yeah. I've been training with these troops. I hope I'm ready for it, but yeah. this, I'm scared. The guy in the boat's already thrown up, and, and now we've got to go through the rough seas, and it looks like it's pretty rough on the beach. And what Norm just described is yeah. curation. He just curated Normandy, and that's the storytelling inside the story that's so critical. I want to throw um, a couple of headlines at you and just get your immediate response. Streaming figures rise in Poland. No response. No, I, I, <laughs> okay. aren't they rising everywhere? Yeah. Um, Poland. But I, 
Yeah. Why, not? Why, why not? I mean, it's, yeah, they they're, have more broadband and so more. Mm-hmm. And, and I would guess. Creating I mean, a lot of original content. They're right on the edge of, <laughs> if, if the war is going to go to another country oh. after Ukraine, it's going to be Poland probably. Yes. And they're going to be seeking out news that is tailored to them. Thank you. And so they're going to be online. Yeah. And I, I would guess. That's one of the yeah. reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that, I, think you're, I think you're right. Absolutely. So as I, I go to, I would see Dennis Davidov. He is a Ukrainian reporter uh, who puts out a 15-minute a report every night. He's a pilot who's not been allowed to join the military for some reason, but he knows him. He wants to be part of the, the process of helping his country, and he gives a very objective report yeah. uh, of what's going on and shows the battle lines. He shows all the planes and vehicles that are being used, and he points out what's true and what's not from both sides, saying we reported that we're doing really well in this battle, but I'm not so sure because I'm talking to the people on the front line. So he pulls you in through his honesty and by using his maps and, and other um, forms of media, but it's incredibly compelling. It's, it's, it's just one guy, but he's doing a far better job, I think, than most of the larger media companies are in doing this. And... I'm sure that's one of many, right? And so in Poland, they probably have their own Dennis Davidovs. And uh, I would guess that, yeah, if, if I, heck, if I was in Poland, I'd be looking for news every and anywhere to find out what's going on, what's, what I should expect next, what happened after. I mean, Xi just met with, with Putin. What does that mean for Poland? Yeah. I, I don't know, but I, if I was Polish, I'd want to know. Yeah. I am half Polish. I would like to know. Is that why you picked that? No. I'm interested in Poland. What about Poland's, this? Poland's had a rough time in, in, yeah. in, in the wars, and so yeah. you know, they're pretty keen to know yeah. it, the likelihood that another war is fought on their land is fairly high. Yeah. And it's not been, it's, it's not been a pleasant process for them in any of the past wars. No, and, and, and I'm interested because in Ukraine, too, with its capabilities in IT, which people don't know about, that they are one of the greatest countries for emerging technologies. Developing coders. They have an yeah. amazing number of coders. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Deutsche Telekom could launch its own TV alongside STB. It's another phone company taking over. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised. Okay. I'm not surprised. What is, what is your line, your favorite um, song line? Which we always talk about it in, on vacation. What about this one? The this is a real company, showstopper. Um, oh. <laughs> this one's yeah. a real showstopper. Fubo, <laughs> Fubo TV rebrands as Fubo. Oh. They dropped TV. They've dropped the TV part. I'm too restrictive. Well, it's also anachronistic. It's like, you know, yeah, it's, remember, it's ageist. They're adding Ford, re- Ford uh, horse and buggy company. You know, just, totally. <laughs> go back to earlier in our conversation. Right. They're adding regional sports networks when others are dropping regional sports Thank networks you. if they're in Thank your region, you. but they're in a fight with CBS at the same time. Right. Mm. So n- there's no stable ground anyway. Everything is sand. CBS should just get out of sports because they never should have been there in the first place. You don't think so? No. Why? Because they fucked up the NFL deal a long time ago, and they should have just learned their lesson. Oh, no. And I'll tell you something. I met the guy that did that, that fucked up that deal. <laughs> and he actually taught a class uh, at Emory where I, I brought him in to teach a class and talk to students about media. And the greatest thing that he could talk about in his career was his biggest fuck up, 
which was the CBS football deal. Well, see, I, I think differently of CBS. Uh, CBS okay. is, was a phenomenal partner for Turner when we did March Madness with them. Remember, CBS, ah. CBS had, had rights for, for they got their March shit Madness. And uh, it was a losing proposition because you didn't have nat- national distribution. And um, uh, then the deal with Turner basically liberated March Madness. So you can now see the games because you're on CBS, TNT, TBS, and True TV. Yep. So, so yep. I, you had your experience. I have mine where I yep. thought they were great partners for that because I think that is one of the smartest things that was ever done in sports. I think it absolutely liberated it. Uh, there's a great stat out there um, by a research company that said, uh, I think it's $1.3 billion in productivity is lost during March Madness. 75 million people are at work experiencing some degree, whether they're doing their brackets, watching the games on their computer, their phones, but they get it back in morale, which I find fascinating. So that is something that gels us as a culture, right, inside those games. Love March Madness. You talked about this idea of taking TV off of a company's name, Fubal. Um, Fubal, yeah. There's an activist by the name of Andrew Left from Citroen Research, and he often shows up on CNBC talk, you know, after his company's released some re- research showing how a company has been overvalued or maybe even involved with fraud. And he was uh, very down on Netflix's high valuation in the early years. Okay. And he was getting a lot of airtime uh, talking about how this was just ridiculous and it was only a matter of time before the big dogs, that is the existing big media companies, come on in and they eat their lunch, especially just wait till HBO figures this out. Yeah. And he had a group of apparently kids over at his house who were friends of his, his children or one of his children. And he did an informal survey of them. You know, how many of you know about Netflix? We're talking, this is seven, eight years ago. And they all raised their hands and they could tell you what shows they watched. They said, how many of you um, what, um, in your spare time watch any HBO? They didn't know what it was. Right. So, <laughs> um, okay, you, ta- you, you take TV at off of your other and name. laughed. They, you can't see this when you're listening. They looked at each other and laughed. What does that mean? Just have the same sense of humor about things in the industry, I guess. Oh, it's just we're old dinosaurs and we forget that the young generation really is unaware of, of this anachronistic system that we are so accustomed to. Yeah. We grew yeah. up in and lived in. Well, uh, HBO was cool in 1975. So was MTV, MTV back in the 80s. Yeah, right? I, mean, I know. Like Lane was saying, that's what he watched. I had cable before anybody else had cable because my dad was in, my dad was a broadcaster. And he loved technology. Yeah. yeah. So my friends would come over to watch HBO because <laughs> they didn't have it. All right. Do you have anything else you want to hit? Because um, you covered. guys came so prepared, and I am well, we, amazed. Well, we do our homework really well, don't we? I know. They showed up with laptops, paper. We all have reading glasses except for the 28-year-old at the... End of the table. Yeah, enjoy those good eyes. I know. It's a great thing to have. It's, they're going to go. They're going to go soon. <laughs> oh, we didn't really talk about um, things like sustainability and social impact. Um, Let's touch on it. And um, so I do a lot of interviewing for college. Right, right. We I talked about do that. 15 interviews a year. And and I, the reason I love to do it. Wet leg. I do 
Coleman had to find out about Wet Leg last night. We watched I all the videos. You like them? I downloaded the album. The whole album? Yep. Wait a minute. Chez Lounge. Did you turn you know it on to it? Yeah. Totally. Do you know about it? You don't and know about it? And then I played it for my whole family. Wet Leg. I'll look it up. We were hipper. Um, you were hip. Ah, uh, well. Um, my daughter gives me songs to listen to. Um, and then I listen to them and on occasion. They're pretty right. good. Who's this? And I yeah. stumbled across the video. And I go, these chicks are cool. Man. The wet um, leg is, is, um, was good. Thank you for that. <laughs> but the younger generation, as they talk to them, they have different themes of what they're interested in. So most recently, I talked to one wo- young woman. She's 18 years old. And she said, during the course of an interview, I said, tell me about your friends. She said, half of my friends are trans. Yeah. And I said, whoa, hold on a second. I cannot imagine me having this conversation with anybody in my generation or anybody in my right. generation ever having had that conversation when they yeah. were in high school saying that. Yeah. So let's just step back a second. Help me understand this. What's going on? How, how, how do I... How am I supposed to be an ally for you and your friends? Yeah. And she walked me through it. She said, just ask questions. You're going to make mistakes. But if, as long as you're empathetic and you ask questions... That's okay, because we're all learning. And so it was, it was, it's kind of wonderful. I learned those little lessons along the way. But one of the themes that comes out clearly is that they all want to study environmental science, and they're incredibly aware of the state our planet is in right now, yeah. or they feel it, that they only have a certain number of years left, and they want to participate as best they can in making the planet a better place. That's also not a conversation I ever had with any of my peers when I was growing up. Right. So how does that play out in the media? And how do you have immersive experiences in that? And what do those people all want to watch? And you know, I don't know how that plays out, but it almost certainly will. And yeah, it's not Jacques Cousteau anymore. No, so he was the only one. And it's probably not Greta Thunberg, <laughs> but it's, it's there's going to be some play in that area, which ties into all of this, right? And allows them to participate. So it's not it's interactive, it's immersive, and it's going to allow younger people in particular to contribute to the betterment of society in the world. I don't know how that plays out, but that is front of mind for them all. Yeah, I was never asked to contribute to I the was betterment not, of yeah. society. <laughs> but that's that's what they talk about <laughs> that all the time. Like, and it, get and a it, college degree, I got a job. It's and it's I would think that it's, you know, sort of, the way they talk about it, it feels like they're being dictated to to th- talk like that, but it's really amongst their peers. They're yeah. really scared of, they Maybe it's the media. They're scared about the state of our planet. As they should be. Well, I just look at this and go, I don't feel this way about the planet, but I definitely acknowledge that you do, and now you're going to have to be around it for a lot longer than me, and so maybe that's why I don't think about it so so much. So what do you do about that, and how do you engage with it, and how does media play a role in all of that? Is it through documentaries and shows about that? Um, So... There's various new trends with these d- different generations. That, you know, the trend of gaming. If Jensen, yeah. and they all know about gaming. I didn't know. I mean, I guess people had Segas and things like that and Xbox. But that we're talking about something altogether different. Yeah. And how does that factor into all of this as you think about the next generation's consideration set? And I, what what does that entail? And so I don't have an answer for all. I that. don't either. No. But it's a good it's a good thought. Deep thinking <laughs> on the Girls on Film podcast. <laughs> Coleman, what you got? What you got for a closer? Uh, for a closer. Um, the closer. I think it's a great show. It, 
and TNT. One of the most phenomenal dramas ever created. Law and Order created TNT. It was a big part of it. That's I true. know. Bob Hope bought it at dinner with me <laughs> and the guy from USA really? <laughs> Networks. <laughs> when he went to the bathroom, uh, the guy from USA Networks went to the bathroom during dinner and I said, he's talking, I don't know if you remember the TNN Network yeah, out I of Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. I said, he was on the phone with TNN all day because, again, I had flown this guy in to teach at Emory, but I had set him up with Bob Levy for dinner. And I said, he's bouncing 90, 90, 80, 82, it was 82 million with, on the phone. He kept saying 82 million. <laughs> okay, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> then Bob bought, the, bought Law & Order the next day for 90 million. I think I helped him. I'm sure you did. I think a little bit. <laughs> Closing comment. Wow. Um, but this is just part one. We can come back. This is part one because we, we need to come back and debate um, the new broadcasting standard, ATSC 3.0, because Norman and I started this debate yesterday about what it's going to be. Um, and I think it'll be a fascinating debate. Let's do it. Um, uh, closing comments. I guess I'm going to be fascinated to see if the best navigation platform wins or if the best content wins? Or, are they, or do they go together? That's, that's hoping that all of the people out there are really smart. <laughs> oh, they are. Are they? Just, yeah, it's just a question of how hard will you work to get the content you want versus taking something close enough, right? Yeah. We talked about it earlier with Lane, with the streaming services. I've got to go to different streaming services to find my shows. Right. Uh, you know, I'm... Norm, you said you ask recommendations, you get, you know, eight series you should watch, but then you've got to find them, you've got to build them into your life to be able right. to watch them. So how do we just navigate um, our our very limited 24 hours a day? It is the one constant that I think is fascinating because it's all you've got is 24 hours, and how are you going to spend that 24 hours, and who are you going to give your time, your money, and your attention to? People love storytelling, and they love watching. They will never get away from good all storytelling. All of these stories. I think the best storytelling wins, but we'll see. I think you're right, but we'll see. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Loved having you. <laughs>